teachers and teachers and taking them to school on some of their uh, kind of understandings of the scripture at that point in time. But the first question I want to pose to you before we jump into Mark chapter 12 uh, is this. How does it feel when you know someone is trying to catch you out? When you know someone is asking you a question that they know the answer to, and no matter what you say, they're not going to agree with it. They've put you into a corner, into a position, that no matter what you say or what you do, they're always still coming against you. Because this is the area, this is the kind of situation we find Jesus at in this passage. And I'm sure if we think about in our own lives, when we've been in those situations, it's not a nice or comfortable feeling at all. We can feel undermined, suspicious of why are they treating me like this? Why are they saying these things to me? What are they trying to get out of me? Or why are they trying to catch me out? What are they trying to prove? Um, that feeling of feeling unintelligent too, which I think when we look at the scripture in a moment, is just what the Pharisees were trying to do. Actually disprove Jesus' understanding of the scripture and who he was as the son of God. And that feeling of being trapped when you're backed into a corner that you almost feel you can't get out of, no matter what you say or what you do. It's exactly how Jesus feels in this moment uh, in the scripture. And I also want to flip that question the other way for you too and ask you, have you ever tried to catch someone else out by asking difficult questions? Have there ever been times in your life where we felt a little bit self-righteous, felt a little bit empowered, and we have been that person to ask that question to put that person in that corner. And think about the motivations that we might have for that. Because we all have an ego. We all have that little part of inside us that make, wants us to feel good and to look good too. And that insecurity that we wrestle with every single day. And quite often for ourselves and for the Pharisees, it's about making ourselves look correct. I'm right, I've got all the answers, and you don't. And let me prove to you that you don't. So that I'm the one that is more intelligent, that I'm the one that is correct. To make ourselves look or feel superior to is, again, what we're going to find with the Pharisees in a moment. That feeling of superiority. And when Nick was asking me about you know, why we wanted to come to Falling Bridge, that is something that you guys do not have at all. You are so welcoming in the way you love each other. There is not that atmosphere of we don't allow people into the church. No, no, this is our place. No, we know what's right. We know the scripture. You are just so welcoming with open arms to others. That's exactly the example that Jesus set. Um, again, this is how the people asking the questions in the passage were trying to make themselves feel when they were approaching Jesus. They were doing everything they could to pick Jesus apart. More than anything, not just to disprove him, but to make themselves look better. When you look through the scriptures, so much of what the religious leaders were doing was about their personal image and about how they looked or how they appeared to other people. And it was all about that self-preservation and that self-image. If I look the most holy, I will be the most respected and I will have the greatest place in the kingdom of God. But of course, Jesus came to pick that apart and disprove that completely. And talking of uh, questions, again, when we can feel trapped, think about, have you ever been asked a question where you might say something and someone will say to you, are you sure? Are you sure about that? 
really almost trying to make you second guess and question that yourself about, well, hang on, am I, am I sure? Are, are they right? Am I wrong? Should I bend to what they're suggesting at that time? Or the other one that gets asked in interviews a lot is, so tell me some of your weaknesses. Because when people ask that, generally there's a motive there of, well, okay, if I tell you some of my weaknesses, you may well go, I'm not going to employ someone like that. No, we don't want that person. Or we can fall into the habit, sometimes people might answer that question with, I don't have any weaknesses, I'm fantastic. Which we all know is false. We've all got things we struggle with, we've all got things we wrestle with every single day. So, again, it's not a nice or comfortable position to find ourselves in. And our kind of focus for this morning is all about God's wisdom, not our own wisdom but taking our lead from God's wisdom, from the scriptures. Because God cannot be trapped by the wisdom of man. Instead, God makes foolish the wisdom of the world. God cannot be trapped by the wisdom of man. No matter how many intelligent questions we think we can ask, we're never going to fully understand or comprehend everything of the glory and the wonder of God. Instead, God makes foolish the wisdom of the world. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is greater than we could ever comprehend or understand. His thoughts are greater than we can ever truly comprehend or understand. And we live by faith, by the God that loves us, the God that cares for us. So much of the world around us is trying to understand every little minute detail of how everything works, of how everything operates, so that we can have a grip and a stronghold on that intelligence. And again, being that self-righteous, that this is how it is, you're wrong. But again, we always need to be humble, knowing that God's ways are higher than our ways. Um, and that's where we're going to jump into at Mark chapter 12 for today. Um, and if you've got your Bible with you, uh, we're starting in verse uh, 13. So Mark chapter 12, verses 13. And this part, we quite uh, common, I'm sure, for many of you, where we've got paying the imperial tax to Caesar. Starting in verse 13, it says... Later, they sent out the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. So already, they're putting him into that corner. Flattery of Jesus and that disingenuous nature of the way they're asking before they even approach the questions that they have. Continuing, it says, You aren't swayed by others. Because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Straight away, Jesus could see their heart. Jesus could see why they were asking this question. He could see their hypocrisy in the way they were approaching him. They wanted more than anything, to use God for their own gain so that they could keep their own money and wealth. Because if Jesus says, 
Oh, no, you don't need to pay any taxes to Caesar. Fantastic. We'll keep it all for ourselves. Thanks very much. We've got more wealth. We've got more power. We've got more influence. We're no longer going to be controlled financially by those Romans. But again, Jesus knew their heart. He saw that hypocrisy. And he says, why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They were waiting for the satisfaction of getting their own back and making him look bad. Catching him out in that moment. But in our last section saying they were amazed by what Jesus said. And I almost imagine it where they can come with these questions, they come with this pride, come with this self-righteousness straight away. And then when Jesus responds in this way, I don't give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I can just imagine their jaws dropping. The look on their faces when Jesus says this to them. Not that idea of amazement in terms of, wow, it's incredible, what an amazing thing to say. But that, what, what's he just said? What, has he just caught us out in our own game, in our own trap? And it also makes me think of that, any of the football fans in the room, when the crowds are cheering, they're shouting, supporting their team, and they're really getting into the game, and then the other team score against them. And all of a sudden, that singing stops. All of a sudden, that energy dies down in that stadium, in that venue. And actually, they are humbled straight away. And you often hear that chant, you're not singing anymore. When the other fans, again, fighting back against that, didn't try to make themselves more righteous than the others. That's just the, I imagine the look on these Pharisees' faces when they heard this in that response. But that's only challenge number one Jesus faced in the scripture for today. Challenge number two looks at marriage at the resurrection. And again, let's take a look at something more challenging to try and catch him out. This time we have the Sadducees approaching Jesus. I think, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try type two. See what happens with this question. In verse 18, it continues with, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one uh, married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with a third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. And again, here's this big elaborate story and question they've told to once again try and catch him out. Thinking, let's ask him something so confusing, no matter what he says, he's going to get it wrong. And again, we can appear holier than thou. We can appear the most intelligent. And that question just reminds me of those kind of questions you might find in a maths exam. If you think back where it goes, the train is leaving the station at one o'clock. There are five stops. There are 20 people getting on at stop one, 20 people stop two. It stops three times on the course of getting to Edinburgh. The journey takes 18 hours. How many people got on? You're like, by the time you've read the whole question, you're like, 
what, what on earth is he asking me? And that's almost, again, what I imagine they're trying to do to Jesus at this time. Let's ask him something so incredibly confusing that no matter what he says, he's going to get it wrong. But of course, we know Jesus has a response ready to reply to them. In verse 24, Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Because in heaven, there will be no need for marriage. We'll be reunited and we'll be united with God in the kingdom of heaven. Then God provide us with a blessing of marriage while we're here on earth. So that as we read in Genesis, man may not be alone. But we may have that community. We may have that support as married people for each other. So be there for each other through thick and thin. But again, in the resurrection to come, in heaven, we won't have marriage. And in here, Jesus picking apart that argument they have for not believing in the resurrection and the value of marriage that it's placed on. Continuing in verse 26, it says, Now about the dead rising. Have you not read the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush? How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are badly mistaken. Again, they're trying to trap Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He uses the scripture, once again, as he so often does in his ministry, to prove and reaffirm his point. These religious leaders that value the scriptures so much and feel their wisdom and knowledge comes from that scripture. That's what gives them that power and authority. He uses that. Again, to once again say, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures? It's there for you. And all we need to do is look to the scripture for our guidance and for our knowledge. Jesus using the scriptures to reinforce and to reclaim to reaffirm that point. They claim to be wise and holy, and yet despite their knowledge, they could not see the truth right in front of their eyes of who Jesus was. They believed they knew the scripture, but they couldn't see Jesus in front of him. In uh, John 5, verses 39 and 40, it says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They perceived wisdom and self-righteousness that created a type of barrier between them and sought, and they, the Messiah they were so longing to find and to discover. So often in the scriptures we read how they are waiting and searching actively for that coming Messiah that will free them from the Romans, that will free them from the persecution they are facing. And yet, Despite all those scriptures they have, they cannot see who Jesus truly is. And then that leads me on to uh, verse 28, where we go to the greatest commandment of all. Once again, our third question that Jesus is posed. This time, it says in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, 
is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment greater than these. Again, a familiar passage I'm sure many of us will know really well. The most important thing we can do and are commanded to do by Jesus is to love. To love each other. To love God. To love our world. To love our community. And to share that love that we've been so blessed with to others. Whether they're in our church family, whether they're in our workplaces, whether they're in our schools, our neighbours, the greatest thing we can do is to love. Going back into verse 32 of chapter 12 in Mark, it says, Well said, teacher. The man replied, You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from them, no one dared ask him any more questions. Again, Jesus there responding to that man's question. The most important thing we can do to be close to the kingdom of God is to love. Despite the Pharisees' questions, despite the Sadducees' questions, trying to trap and ensnare Jesus and prove him wrong. The greatest thing we can do is to love. Not to catch out other people. Not to be self-righteous in the way we approach non-Christians, for example. But just to love. Because when we love others, that's what draws them to Christ. When they see that thing in our heart, the Holy Spirit living in us, they see that difference about us. They're drawn to know more about it. They're drawn to know what it is that makes you different. What is the hope that you have that I don't have? Because the way you treat me, the way you care for me, the way that you love me for who I am. And it's through those relationships that then we can share the scripture. Then we can share more who Jesus is and the amazing things he did when he was here on earth and the amazing things he continues to do in each of our hearts day by day by day so how are we going to respond to this this morning my first encouragement to you is this don't strive for perfect or worldly wisdom strive for deeper relationship with each other and with Christ we will never have all of the answers to the things that we want to understand. We will never have all that perfect knowledge that we may long for. And that is why we live by faith, not by sight, not by earthly or human wisdom or understanding. We trust in God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 19, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And God cannot be trapped by the wisdom of man. He makes foolish the wisdom of the world. How often do we see in our culture those people being humbled? who feel they have all those right answers, who feel they have all those perfect solutions to all the problems that we may have or may not even have thought of, and yet we see them humbled in the world. The more they struggle for that wisdom, almost the further away we can find ourselves coming away from God. Yes, we should dig deeper into the Scriptures. Again, I'm not saying this morning that wisdom is a bad thing at all. As we grow closer in relationship to Christ, we will know and understand more of who he is, what he longs for us to do, what we can learn and take away from the scriptures. Again, that key thing is that Jesus pointed them back to the scriptures. And that's what he does in our hearts when we come to know him more. My um, second takeaway for you today is also that we evangelize to the world by demonstrating God's Holy Spirit within us and the love we show, not by outsmarting others or always winning that argument. We don't bring people to Jesus by tricking them or trapping them or proving that their beliefs and whatever faith or religion they have or their beliefs that there is no God. We don't bring them to Christ by disproving that. We bring them to Christ by loving them. We bring them to Christ by loving them for where they are in their journey, in their struggle. Because we all have our own struggles. We were all at one point without that faith, without that relationship with Christ. And again, if you think about the people who were around you, who helped bring you into relationship with Christ, who helped bring you into God's family. Now, what was it about those people that really helped show you God's love for you? I'm sure if you think about those people in your lives, it was the way they loved you first. The way they were there for you first of all. And then were able to share the scriptures and share the wisdom of God. Not their own understanding, but taking that knowledge from him first of all. And then my third and final takeaway for you today is that Jesus showed us the true example of God's heart, God's wisdom, and God's kingdom. Jesus showed us the true example of God's heart, God's wisdom, and God's kingdom. Going back to 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 16 this time, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We are so incredibly blessed to have those gospels, to have those historical accounts of what Jesus did when he walked on this earth, that we can look back to and learn from every single day to find new insight from the character of Jesus, the way he treated others while he was here, and what we can look for in terms of the kingdom of heaven and how we can draw closer to God too. Yet he was that true example of God's heart. And yes, while when he was surrounded by and trapped by Pharisees or Sadducees, he looked back to the scriptures, he had those answers to respond to them. More than anything else, again, when you look throughout the Gospels, the things that drew people to Jesus was his character. 
was his person, the way that he treated others, the way he cared for those that nobody else would care for, the way he loved the sinner, the way he went to the homes of people that the Pharisees and Sadducees would never have been seen in, the way he showed that love for God's people, whether they were in relationship with him or not, whether they knew the power of God or they lived in their own understanding, they lived in their own earthly or human wisdom. He loved them for who they were. And through that love, through that ministry, that time he spent with people, he drew them into relationship with him and into relationship with the Father. So again, don't ever forget the blessing that is those Gospels. If you're ever looking for encouragement or inspiration of how much God loves you, Again, we have the mind of Christ provided for us in those scriptures, the word of God while he was here on earth. And I just want you to take this time now, as we come to a time of response, to just imagine the world where we took more time to develop relationships rather than developing clever arguments to disprove other people wrong. What would the world be like if not only we as God's people, but for everybody here on earth, if we spent more time loving each other and caring for each other, being with each other, rather than about being right, rather than about having the correct argument to answer every single question anyone could ever throw at us, what if we just spent time with people to get to know them, to get alongside them, rather than always sometimes batting against them to disprove their wrong belief about Christianity, their wrong understanding about who God is or if there is a God too. Let's focus more on being there for each other and being there for non-Christians rather than always being right. And the thing I want you to think about now is who in your life this week can you get to know deeper? Who this week can you spend more time with? Who this week can you get to know on that much deeper level so that again, you could build more relationship with them and that would be that gateway and that opportunity to share the gospel with them too. It's through relationship we're enabled to do that. If we come with those clever arguments straight away, it can often put that barrier up against other people. But when we build that relationship first, then that doorway can be opened to sharing more of God's heart, more of God's love, sharing that scripture with them too. Being a school teacher is a hard uh, job. Again, I'm surrounded by so many non-Christians and so many of the young people in Andover where I taught have so much struggle in terms of their home life, in terms of their personal lives, in terms of depression, anxiety, personal addictions, with substances too. There is so much need that they have and there's so much they struggle with and wrestle with every single day. And as a Christian, I know for the young people that I had a blessing, I was blessed to be a part of their lives for a small time. And the staff that I shared an office with or shared a staff room with, I know if I came in there day one, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So many in them would turn from that. And of course, we know as Christians that that is true. That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Through him, we have eternal life. 
But so many people just need someone to be there for them first. Before we, before we share and open their eyes and their hearts to who God really is and change those misconceptions that they may already have. When we open up their heart, then we can share God's love. And who can we invest more on in this week? Sending them encouragement rather than a clever reason why they should be a Christian, why they're wrong maybe for their disbelief. Sending love, sending prayer, and most importantly, asking about them. Focusing on them, their needs, rather than us, first of all. And what I'd like us to do now is do something really practical. I've asked you kind of all to think about someone that you could build a deeper relationship with this morning. And if you're anything like me, you've probably got this in your pocket at this point. And you've probably got lots of people on that phone, on that device, that you're in contact with every single day, that you message constantly throughout. And what I'd like to actively do now is for everybody just to select one person in their contacts, whether it's someone that you already have a relationship with, whether it's someone you haven't spoken to or messaged to in such a long time that you can have a chance to reconnect with, just to say that thinking of you, praying for you, perhaps, just to ask how they're doing, where they're at at this point in time, and show that little bit of love, care, and compassion for others straight away. That that, again, will be one stepping stone to building that relationship and further sharing the gospel. Whether they are Christians, and we can bring them into deeper relationship with Christ, or whether they not have any understanding of God, Jesus, or the scripture. So I'm just going to invite you now just to take two minutes on your phone or okay, with a note just to message someone that you would like to build a deeper relationship with this week so that that would be a doorway to sharing the gospel in the future. Okay, let's send out love to the world around us. You know, it's not about sending the scripture that's perfect for that person's situation at this point in time. Let's be like Jesus and meet them where they find themselves at the moment. Let's show that love, care, and compassion first of all. Let's be those lights for Jesus. As you're doing that, I just invite you to, in your own heart, ask God to place on your mind and your heart, who are those people that I do have around me, that I do interact with every single day or even every single week, that you want me to dig deeper with, that you want me to get to know them more? Who can I build more relationship with this week? This is all about planting seeds. All about taking those first steps. And our world is so much in need of that message of salvation and repentance. But let's look at Jesus' example of how he ministered and minister that way too.
I'm going to invite you in the quiet as well, just to pray for strength and wisdom when you find yourself in situations like Christ has today in the text, when people are trying to catch you out. And that we would look to him in those moments for strength and wisdom. It's not always about responding with the witty or intelligent answer. It's about being his example. And calling us to repent also for the times where we've tried to catch someone out. By asking difficult or undermining questions. We can all fall into those traps at times. And again, for God to place on our hearts the people we want to build a deeper relationship with this week. And I just pray for us as a church family that those messages we sent out this morning, that would be one step in a conversation that is then ongoing throughout the week. That way we've reached out to someone that we'd be drawn closer to. We can build a relationship, plant that seed for the future, that they too may come to know Christ. I'm going to invite the band up at this point. Okay, we'll just continue to respond. Really ask the Lord to place in your heart, who are those people around me? Who are those people in my life that are on my phone, that I can connect with and build relationship with? How can I be a light for Jesus? Share his gospels through the way that I love others too.